Hi, I'm Cam, and this is the Nerdbook Review. Today, you will be getting Barry and myself as we talk about Fountains of Paradise by Arthur C. Clarke, one of the true giants of science fiction. Before we get there, you are going to be subjected to the usual spiel. You can reach us on Twitter at Nerdbook Review, on our Facebook page, The Nerdbook Review. You can email us at nerdbookreview at gmail.com, and you can also find our reviews on Goodreads. Hopefully, you'll be able to reach us here not too long at our new website and blog. Um, we're looking at sometime around May, maybe. And um, the last thing I will do is, once again, ask you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or whichever platform you happen to listen to this. As I always say, it is super helpful. Um, it gets us out there and... Uh, when someone types in like something like nerd or book review, then I, our name is far more likely to pop up. All right, I will quit talking at you, and and I hope you enjoy the review. Thank you. Hello, I'm Hello. Cam. I'm Barry, and this is the Nerd Book Review. For those of you who might be first time or newish listeners, Barry and I were fraternity brothers way back in college. And we have remained friends since. And uh, Barry, tell us a little bit about yourself. A uh, high school teacher, science fiction reader, crappy woodworker, uh, extraordinaire of many cooking and witful talents. <laughs> and he's selling himself short on that woodworking thing. We have a couple of little puzzles that he's made for our son. And they are awesome most of the time. He ha- Brand one time used the uh, like long L Lego looking piece and hit me with it. Oh, yeah. Those things are hard. That's hard yeah. wood. Yeah, that's solid. But aside from that, uh, he's selling himself short with uh, saying crappy woodworker. Some of it's crappy. Some of it's pretty good. But... Yeah, yeah. Those uh, puzzles for Brand have been sweet. Nice. All right. Well, we are here today to talk about Fountains of Paradise by Arthur C. Clarke. Real quick, I will give you the details and then we'll have Barry read the... Goodreads blurb. Actually, not the Goodreads blurb because it was not very helpful. Is he going to read the original book cover blurb? So, book stats. The book was originally published in 1979. It won the Hugo that year and then the Nebula in 1980. It is 352 pages long. Um, Arthur C. Clarke is considered one of the three pillars of science fiction. He wrote over 50 books. He won three Nebulas. He won three Nebulas and two Hugos. Uh, Probably his most famous novel was 2001 A Space Odyssey, which he wrote the book and then worked with Kubrick on the movie. He was named a Grand Master of Science Fiction Writers of America in 1986. Uh, He was born in 1917 and did not die until 2008. And will become important for this book specifically is that he had degrees in physics and mathematics from King's College in London. And as I said, that'll make sense when you read the book. Blurb. The Fountains of Paradise. Shrikanda, the sacred mountain, was the holiest place in the ancient land of Taprobane. It was also the only possible site for the most daring feat of engineering in man's history. Vannevar Morgan's visionary dream would link Earth to the stars. If a million technical problems could be solved, if rival nations could be persuaded to cooperate, if the money could be found, and if the ages-old order of monks atop Shrikanda would allow their sanctuary to be profaned forever. 
2,000 years earlier, the Mad King Kalidasa had fought the monks of Srikanda to create his own vision of glory and paid with his life. Morgan faced the same struggle and perhaps the same fate. Well done. Well done. And as usual, my take, it is an engineering novel about a space elevator with a little sidetrack into the politicking necessary to get the project approved. That pretty much nails it. <laughs> All righty. So um, first things first, uh, I mentioned that Arthur C. Clarke was one of the pillars of science fiction. Uh, Barry, what is some of the other stuff that you've read from him? I haven't read anything but this one. I've actually never read 2001. I've seen the movie, of course. And I've read uh, The City and the Stars. That's one of his really early ones. It's a really good book about you know contrasting two cities. I've read another one that won a lot of awards, uh, Rendezvous with Rama. I've read, after this one, I actually read uh, Childhood's End, which is a really solid book. And yeah, there's... He has a obviously a very wide array of uh, books that he's published that over a long time that have you know been uh, their fingerprints are all over science fiction. Oh my god! This is a madhouse. <laughs> we have dogs out here. Hey, how's it going? You guys having a pretty good evening out there? I'm doing okay right now. Doing okay. Doing pretty, pretty good. Having a great time. You guys should download this more. It'll help Cameron out a bunch. When's the last time you guys ate it? Panda Express. Pretty good restaurant, really. It's kind of kind of weird. Oh, here he comes. Oh, no. <laughs> what do I, I get, a, I get a treat when I get, when I edit this? You got a little treat. You, you want, you're going to want to edit that out. Don't worry. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad at all. But all you're right. going to want to edit it out. It's going to make the show sound ridiculous. <laughs> it's basically some, some real brain droppings for me. <laughs> okay. Well, if I don't edit it, this all out, uh, my son is very, very excited right now about something. And that is the uh, downside to a two-and-a-half-year-old and trying to record a podcast. Okay. I guess we were talking about his, uh, he had just has a very wide body of work. I kind of intend to read more of his books. You know, there's, I like his writing style. I like how intelligent and technically proficient it always is. And, um, I mean, he's just definitely up there with Asimov and Heinlein and any of the other best science fiction authors. And I'd kind of encourage you to read anything that he ever writes okay and as i've said um this is the first arthur c clark book i've read um i'm obviously a more of a fantasy guy and barry is our resident uh, sci-fi guy so um thoughts on the book itself barry i'll let you start okay i thought once again i think he is a very technically proficient, very professional writer. There's, I mean, it just kind of shows you how hard it, well, if you read another book, you see how hard it is to be this good at writing. In this book in particular, I mean, I picked it up off the shelf because it won the Hugo and the Nebula. And I'm like, man, this has to be great. And it was great in some ways, but I think it's almost like technically proficient to a fault because it is like an engineering manual at times to a uh, 
piece of equipment that is hard to conceive of. I mean, it it's definitely imaginative in its own way, but a lot of it does read like the plot doesn't move along as quickly as I would have liked because it it follows like the construction of it's following the construction of a very um very large ambitious structure. Yeah, and I guess here's my my biggest take on it is this the biggest comment I have is that if this book had been written in 1959 instead of 1979, I would say, wow, this is a really good book. But my biggest problem with it is that it sounds like it was written in 1959. It's, it, you know, like you said, it, I kind of looked at it as almost like you had an engineer's diary and then uh, they put a narrative in to go along with that. But also it seemed old and dated to me a little bit. Like just there's a few things here and there, um, like emotionally. I, I'm not sure if I'm using this the right way, but people were very rigid and formal in a way that I don't, you know, that people aren't necessarily so much today, but that I saw in an older style. Does that make sense? What I'm, what I'm saying with that? I kind of see what you're saying. There isn't as much. I mean, there's some emotion involved in the book, but there isn't as much emotion. You know, it is. I guess you know, like, would would you agree with the way I sum it up? Sometimes almost professional to a fault. You know, no, I I see. It. That is a really good description. I can see exactly what you're saying with that. He really did. I mean, he's writing, it seems like just an older style. Like, it's really, I mean, he is an, uh, he's clearly a writer. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. a really good writer. It's just that I don't feel like it's a, like, there, that suspense is never there for me. Like, I'm never really concerned that it's not, you know, the space elevator is not going to get built or that, like, I just don't, I don't know. The, uh, the ambassador, you know, for example, I think he's supposed to be that character for us. And I just don't really feel like, like, I don't know, he's kind of there along the outsides a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get, I gr- agree with you on that. I think there wasn't much suspense. I mean, there was a little bit near the end, of course. Yeah, near the, the climax, end. there was a pretty good scene. But, like, that, didn't, that scene wasn't built upon through the entire book. I mean, it was good. It was a page-turning scene. But a lot of the book really wasn't a page-turner. And this is, I mean, I'm going to d- give you a lot of pros here, too. But I'm just giving you the cons. I mean, because I love Arthur C. Clarke's writing. The other books I've read were great. And and, there, and I even read another one after this one. And I love that one. And I this one won the awards. And I'm just kind of left wishing it was a lot better than it was. And I'm also wondering how it got the Nebula and the Hugo that year. must have been a rough year in science fiction. No pun intended. I mean, you could write way better than I could. Why did I say no pun intended? Cut that out. Yes, I'm going to cut that out. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It made no sense. (laughs) There was no pun. (laughs) There was no pun at all. (laughs) Sorry. But, yeah. That was ridiculous. Maybe we have to leave it in now, you know, because that's just so ridiculous. And I said no pun intended there. <laughs> okay. So, but yeah, like I know that was the first thing I, I thought was like, huh? Maybe they're just maybe no one written wrote any books in 1979 that were that were yeah, worthy. Maybe it was everybody's vacation year. Yeah, but uh, but anyways, but like let's so I guess let's talk a little bit about like the actual narrative of the book. So it's split up into a couple different parts. Like part one, we start off, it's a split between like modern day where you have an engineer who's trying to um, 
get a space elevator built. And as the book blurb said, that that is the only place to really optimally build this space elevator is on the highest or this perfect point in the, on the equator that's built over a monastery that's been there for several thousand years. And then the second part, it's a split narrative, is actually the like way back, was it Kaladasa? King Kaladasa. Yeah, King Kaladasa. He um, actually in 3,000 years ago, and it's kind of a made up narrative that like he was creating this, these gardens and a fountain of paradise, which is where we get the name of the, 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 the novel from, um, for like kind of in defiance of these monks. Mm-hmm. Basically, to make himself immortal, I think the monks represent. They represent the tradition and somewhat like. Tell me if you agree with this. The limitation that people put on themselves at times, and you know this king and um, Vannevar Morgan also are people who um, they they bite their thumb in the face of people telling them there's limitations to what you can do. And they both create in their own time structures that um, defy what was considered possible at the time. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to put the the monks as, and I think I wrote something kind of like a little bit along those lines, but yeah, but yours is, is, is a little more eloquent, eloquent than what I was going to say. So yeah, the monks, they're, they're, you know, they're there as the obstacle, and but not a, like not like an angry obstacle like they're not obstinate or anything like that they're just you know like they're they have their viewpoint and their beliefs and i mean it's not like they're like angry inquisitors or anything you know what i'm saying right yeah and so um i think that and then oh yeah and sorry then part two um i want to talk about because i want to or I'll, we'll just continue on with the narrative and then we'll get into a little, a little yeah. bit more description but part two starts off with humanity's had its first contact it was an alien like a sentient alien vessel that is going to send things off to um it's sending messages off to their home um world and they are there's been there's they find out that there's a lot of other sentient uh, races that, like and they go under a classification like from like a one to a seven I think we're considered a five, right? Or were we a four? Uh, I honestly can't remember. I think we were a five. I, I, I don't quote me on this. It could, anyways, so like in this case, this is, book's actually the narr- the current day narrative is set like 150 years in our future, and so they're you know more technically technologically advanced. They've colonized Mars, uh, the Moon, some of the outer planets that we go to, um, like Ju- I think they mentioned that there's a couple moons of Jupiter that we have colonies on. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's kind of like the the second part. And and one thing that's like important to talk about, and I that I also think is a little bit too rosy of a viewpoint, is that like Earth is united under one government. Uh, there's basically no more religion, and people just get along. So that's definitely a different something different from what most of today's. Uh, viewpoints or you know most of today's stories are dystopian mm-hmm. or if they're not dystopian then we still have like maybe like the chinese like it'll be like the communist type governments and the u.s and maybe one or two others and they're basically in like a state of a cold war where they don't fight on earth but they'll fight at their colonies you know mm-hmm. that's one thing i found really refreshing about this book in a way i mean while it might have sacrificed in its plot and it's uh, like suspense. It it really built upon. I like the ambition of the book. The book is in itself is almost as ambitious as. Okay, this is going to be hyperbole. As ambitious as the uh, 
as the uh, Fountains of Paradise were in this book. It was, it's, I mean, it, it had a lot of ambition. And I mean, this, this author is not trying to get established. He's already become as famous as he's ever going to get. And this might be like a, a book of his that he wanted to experiment, try something different with. And for that, I salute him. What I also like is the, um, I like the idea of utopia. I When I was growing up, you know, there was dystopia was a cool word that I learned and thought, oh yeah, I love dystopian science fiction. I still do. I still read a lot of it. But um, because of almost everything you read about now, everything is dystopia. And, you know, I like how he's he's kind of like, uh, like, like uh, Justin Timberlake. He's bringing utopia back. I mean, maybe that's a bad way to put it. Do I have to play royalties to him? Hopefully not. No, but, no I don't think so. But yeah, I don't think he, he wants he, to be associated. It's so. good to kind of explore the idea of utopia in this, and I think he does that. And another book I read of his, I'll talk about it more later, Childhood's End. Even though things turn out badly, I think it is still like a, a form of utopia, not a dystopia. If you read the book, you might understand what I'm talking about. But I, I like how he explores the idea of utopia and what we possibly could do as a species if we put our phony baloney differences aside. Yeah, well, I mean, the the cra- the thing with it is is there's not really even any um, hint that there are any differences at all, you know, in the world. I mean, if they're going to... There's, there's still egos, but there are, you know, department-wide egos as opposed to, like, you know, there's there aren't warring nations or anything like that. And one thing that... And that I think is is funny to me too, and this is you know a part of what I, I I wouldn't say I didn't like it, but that I I, I think is funny, and makes it feel dated to me a little bit is that like philosophers and scientists, like the engineers, they're celebrities in this one, you know, like Morgan is a he he managed to build a bridge across the um the rock of Gibraltar to like from Africa to Europe. Mm-hmm. And so, like you know, he's super famous, and there's like other philosophers and scientists that are that are talked about as being famous as well. He's like Elon Musk. Yeah, but here's the thing, though, is that I actually I want to talk about that. Like that, I think that one thing that I feel like he that kind of surprises me a little bit that he didn't get with the with the tech is is that like it's still like more like shows, like people going to plays, and it doesn't have like the wearable tech, you know, or like the internet and social media is not you know such was like widespread in this which i understand this was written in 1980 or or 79 but starship troopers was already out mm-hmm. and had won the awards in like 76 or 77 and in seven, either 73 or 75 the forever war was written and won all the awards and they had that kind of stuff like the the wearable tech and stuff you know so that's one thing that kind of surprises me a little bit about this book is that it was written after some books that had that were far more accurate in terms of how today's tech is going to be. But I think that like one thing with it though, that it worked for him and the way like his utopian viewpoint, maybe like the only thing I, that's the only thing I can think of is the reason why he doesn't have like everyone as an individual. Like he sees society as like people coming together more. Maybe I don't know. What do you think with what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of agree with you there. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't have that wearable technology, but he missed the mark on what actually happened in earth. But, uh, um, I think it it is kind of interesting to explore the idea of like, how possible would it be to like have a world with this little conflict? I mean, is it even believable to have a utopia like this? I don't know. I like exploring the idea, but, um, well, one thing I think that like it would be, is the problem is, is that 
the way that things would have had to have been done, like he still has the uh, like corporations and stuff, but it's like they're planetary wide. Like Mars is uh, basically owned by a whole corporation, but people tend to their uh, and the Arabs who had their own corporation, but then they basically made the Middle East a utopia almost like you said you know like they they brought like made managed to put like a lake or something in there somehow and but like yeah instead of um fighting for power it was like people use their corporate power for good which is something that clearly is not the case you know so I, that's a good question but if, if given different circumstances would it be possible that is and i that's the question yeah. that's the real question um i mean i don't think so but <laughs> Yeah, well, one of the thing is, like, you know, it's like the religion die off that because of the alien contact. That kind of kind of changes how a lot of people in the Middle East might see things. And, you know, maybe if, you know, in the future, if people cared more about the environment that, you know, they that, you know, it would be beneficial for a corporation to make conscious decisions that are to the benefit of everyone as well. But one thing, though, I do think is funny is, is that. He mentions that global warming is just starting to become an issue 150 years in the future, which is is kind of funny, you know? Mm -hmm. That That's one of the reasons why they want the space elevator, so they don't have to use... <laughs> I'm choking on irony. <laughs> but yeah, so... But yeah, the... Uh, I mean, I guess, like, the whole big thing is, is that it's not a bad book. It's just not what I expected. Yeah, it wasn't exactly what I expected either. Um... And I expected it to be a lot more entertaining. I've read his other books, and they're much more gripping. And let's see, uh, maybe we should explain what the the purpose of the space bridge, what he's building it for, is this. He's building this elevator into space, so there's already interstellar travel, and this, and but it's inefficient, as you might guess, to land and launch shuttles all the time, right? So this helps get things up to space. So something already in um, a shuttle that's already in space can pick it up and it makes much more efficient transport of raw goods. And it's also could be used for, um, tourism as well to this, to the stars. I mean, that's the main purpose of this elevator and how he's able to get funding for it. But you're right. A lot of the book did revolve around the politicking he has to do to get this, which didn't exactly hit me at the gut level. No, it wasn't like it wasn't like really riveting, and it was it was almost like it was just there to like I said it was like something that was added after a journal was written for, um, by a by an engineer. Honestly, I mean I don't know how else to to put it. Um, and then I the the part the narrative with um Kaladasa, i understand like what the you know why it was there but it, even it didn't really really like you know i never tugged at my heartstrings i guess mm -hmm. this book you know i always say that how did it make you feel thing you know this didn't make me feel anything it mm -hmm. was just something that i read <laughs> <laughs> well you know that that they tried to make it like they sell it on the back of the cover they make it like two parallel stories and that's especially early in the book that's what i thought i was going to get into a couple of riveting stories in different passages of time with different chapters that would converge at something that was like riv that would kind of hit you at the gut level because of how similar they were and that's what i was expecting but really they didn't talk much about kaladasa at all that happened early on and then it was mostly just about vanivar morgan's creation the rest of the book which was okay but you know but it just was different than what i expected i guess yeah 
And then I, I just want one thing too, like with him having like the celebrities being like the philosophers and scientists. Do you think it is because they didn't have the like the social media and that kind of and like the people don't seem to be so plugged in? Well, also the computing thing, like maybe like because he the, he does a lot of his own computing in his mind, you know. And the the um, Vannevar Morgan, who is our engineer that's trying to build this uh, space elevator. And I felt like maybe like he didn't have computers being like powerful enough like he should have, you know, because I've always thought like that in today's um, world, I don't think Einstein would have ever been like famous and, you know, like big time because part of his celebrity was he was good and and with the publicity, but also he, him and the rest of those Manhattan uh, Project scientists came at a time when their brains were still more powerful than a computer and like Morgan does a lot of his own like math in his head and then like backs it up with computing but it's not I mean there's you know my phone has more computing power than my brain does probably at this point you know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying like and I kind of wonder if like I don't know if he missed that because of that like in his brain like and I wonder if it's because he was already like 70 years old when he wrote this novel Mm -hmm. yeah it could have been the case yeah he definitely was you know kind of older when he wrote this novel but um I feel I would make the argument that um, a lot of you're right. uh, Einstein wouldn't be famous now because of I think social media is something that would kills, you know, people from getting to know, be interested in science and a lot of culture, too. I mean, a lot of these assumptions are based upon each other. Like his assumption is that people uh, respect and revere science in this time period. And that is something that allows someone like Vannevar to flourish in this world, which is something that really may not happen in this world. I mean, I made the argument for Elon Musk earlier, but really he's not that famous. I bet if I asked most of my high schoolers, they wouldn't really know who he was. But but those of us like who do know, I still don't think he's, he, I think he's famous though, because he's also managed to, to harness the social media and the celebrity aspect of it. Like yeah, I know that's true that too, he's yeah. he's you know he's clearly a very intelligent guy but he's more known I think for the stunts and the the like the coolness of the Tesla car you know like I don't think I mean I don't know I don't even I know a lot about this kind of stuff and I still don't know how much of it he like invented like did he do any of Tesla himself or was he the money guy like I that's you know that's a question that I probably should just google and look up but <laughs> I'm just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if that's the case or not. And like Steve Jobs was, he wasn't even, like he wasn't the engineer, but he's more famous than, uh, oh God, who, who, Paul Allen? Was it Paul Allen? No, that was Microsoft as well as Bill Gates. But Bill Gates and them, they're more famous for like how rich they are than for the fact that, that they, you know, that Bill Gates was actually a good science, computer engineer and scientist, you know? Or Paul Allen. Yeah, and his real genius, this is like an example of like real genius of doing something that's very difficult to do. I mean, what, I think Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, they got rich and famous for making a very great invention that's very practical, and it took a lot of brains to do it, but it's not nearly as inconceivable or ambitious as a project like this, or even like a bridge from Morocco to Spain, if you ask me there. Yeah, but I think that that in today's, you know, the way like we are, Morgan still wouldn't be famous. It would be like the company that built it that would get all of the, like, I don't necessarily know that Morgan would ever get the the credit. You know, that senator who's trying to take credit would be the person who would have his name on the, 
you know, on the space elevator or whatever president or, you know, politician that happened to be there at the mm-hmm. time, would they? it would be their name on the space elevator. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. But anyways, I mean, you know, and that's another thing is, is this is, this is still written 150 years in our future as you're listening to it in 2018. But it's hard to think though that like that we would ever change enough to that for that to be the case, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is kind of like the audacity of utopia and you know, definitely there's a lot of times now where it's very hard to picture this coming true. But Yeah, no, I mean, there's... it's totally I mean, I guess if you go into it knowing that that's the, you know, that and maybe like this is the kind of read that you would enjoy knowing ahead of time, you know? Mhm. I don't know. I I'm just having a hard time kind of Without, I don't want to bash the book because it's not a bad book. It's just it just didn't do anything for me. You yeah, know? it didn't do as much for me either. I mean, I wanted to love this book. I mean, I wanted it to be. I mean, I wanted to get Cameron and anybody to read an Arthur C. Clarke book, and I really kind of felt like I laid an egg on this one because I mean, I've read a few more of his books, and you can see things in this book and other books of his that they have their DNA fingerprints all over a lot of science fiction. One thing I was thinking about here, you you might have thought of it too, is. The hyperfilaments they used to make the space bridge, I, I kept. I started thinking, what was that other? Oh, like the three body problem, like that thing that. Oh yeah. That went all cell or um, Resident Evil on that uh, on that uh, boat in the middle of the book. I'm like, yeah, I think I definitely see that. Um, Shilushin. I wonder if I did that right. He mm. definitely has read some Arthur C. Clarke and a lot of other people have. You even see it. You see fingerprints of this stuff on a lot of movies, too, even if he doesn't get credit for it. So, But I think this isn't the best of his books, even though it won the Hugo and the Nebula. Yeah, no, that's what the, the thing that threw me off the most is, well, like legitimately when I read. So I read that it was 1979, you know, right off the bat. I just read kind of like a little bit about the book and then I got done reading the book and I was like. Maybe I just read that wrong. Maybe it was 1959 that this won the Hugo. And I was like, no, no, it really was 79 and the Nebula in 80 or whichever one. One was 79, 80, just depending on the order of the, you know, the way the, whichever way the award goes. And I was like, man, I can't believe that, you know, that it was just this time. And then I went and looked up some tech that was available, you know, at that time. Like in some high-end cars, there was already like heads-up display, like 3D, you know, Cadillac made a car that had a, a heads-up display already in 79. And there were some things here and there, you know, that like that he doesn't include tech-wise that were already available that you're just like, huh, it kind of mm. surprises me that it just seems so quaint, you yeah. know? Well, I think a lot of his um, science fiction, in fact, what made him really groundbreaking in science fiction with his other books is he focuses on space very much so in a lot of his books. And this one is like him like kind of sticking to earth a lot of the time and i mean he it's not like all of his books are in space but this is one that kind of sticks more more in earth than than not and i feel like and the fact that he lived near the end of his life in sri lanka i wonder it's a question he's he's passed on rest in peace uh that how much of a finger he had on current technology uh, just living my guess is in a kind of uh maybe near some fountains of paradise somewhere (laughs) in sri lanka which you know is obviously kind of how he got the name of his setting here sri kanda how how, yeah how uh up to date was he on a lot of this technology i don't know No, that's a really good point because i didn't know that he you know that he lived in sri lanka for so long but he clearly i mean 
I'm certain that in 79 in Sri Lanka, it was a, I mean, it's still a third world country, you know, I, I'm sure that it was real backwater at that point. Yeah. And he probably didn't live in the city. I mean, I should look this up before I talk about it, but I just don't think if you're going to retire in Sri Lanka, you're not going to live in Colombo. You're going to live in a place, uh, as far away from the city as possible. Well, and I imagine that even if you lived in Colombo, I mean, it's not like I've seen some, some videos, you know, like it's not exactly a, like a bustling metropolis even today. Right. Right, and there's been civil war there with the Tamil Elam, and I mean, it's it's definitely a lot of history, but, you know, I don't want to talk too much about Sri Lanka history now, but that's where he <laughs> sent, spent a lot of his time. Yeah, so that makes, that makes sense, actually. That's something to think about, that, you know, maybe he wasn't in the same way that, like, um, that Joe Haldeman was with The Forever War. Have you read that, by the way? I haven't. I have it, though. Oh, it's on it. my list, though, to read. That is a, it's an amazing sci-fi book. Like, that's one that won the awards that, and that I thought, like, felt like was ahead of its time, you know, and also has that real moral suspense. Like, it, what they get into, like, we're with, because they don't have time travel. I mean, not time, they don't have faster light travel, but you get so close to the speed of light that the time dilation gets you. So, like, they're, they go and do the, they fight this battle and then like by the time they get back to earth they've only aged like three years but 40 years have gone by so all everyone they know is old oh wow and then they go back and they go and like do another fight and by the time it gets back it's like 200 years later and the earth is basically unrecognizable and uh in a it's like a hellhole basically but anyways and then by the time like he's done like it's like thousands of years in the few like, or like 1200 years something like that in the future and um or maybe even farther than that. And we've, we're all like, and they just call them man. They're all clones now. And anyways, it's like, it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. It's really good. You you have to read that book. Yeah. I think another fault of this book, I mean, I think it's almost like focuses more on the technology than the characters. I think some of his other books are much more character driven, like one that I read, which gives him the, um, the title we gave last time, the LeBron James of science fiction, um, is like Childhood Zen focuses heavily on humans and human behavior and i mean there's there's technology involved but like it focuses a lot more on things that people can relate to like what you might do in similar situations yeah and and you know and i'm going to read something else from clark like maybe i'll read childhood end at some point just because i feel like I, i need to because this isn't the best representation and uh but you know i want to say like and i i i know i've said this probably a couple times now it's not a bad book it's just not what you expect from a, a hugo and nebula winner you know mhm and i guess that's kind of the reason it was a disappointment if it was just one in the like the um discount bin that from a that had a funny looking science fiction cover and i didn't know the author i read it like oh yeah yeah it might have exceeded my expectations but <laughs> yeah. this one kind of like with what the hugo award winner with one of the the crowning um one of the best science fiction authors ever i was let down a little bit yeah so um i think we've you know pretty well talked about it um barry would you recommend this book i would recommend it to any real hardcore science fiction reader if you're really into science fiction you want to like explore different ideas i think that's its strength is how it explores some ideas that maybe you probably haven't read a book that explores these particular ideas before i think I think that's what he was doing, and I think he succeeded in that endeavor. But it's not—it's not necessarily the easiest um, plot to digest. I mean, it's 
not in a difficult read, but it's just not a real page turner. That's I guess that's who I'd recommend it to. If you're just a little curious about science fiction and you want to dabble in it, um, I don't know if you'd really enjoy this book. I'd try a different Arthur C. Clarke book or a Highland book or many others. You might try some Asimov. Asimov's the Michael Jordan, right? You could try him. Yeah, and I wouldn't recommend it. Um because as a like peripheral uh, sci-fi reader is you know much more the fantasy guy, like this isn't a book that on its own would have would make me ever you know read any more Arthur C. Clarke, and I mean like I said the biggest thing is is that I always look for, um, a book that, um, makes me want to stay up at night to read you know and this isn't a book that like I didn't have any problems saying oop it's ten o'clock it's time for me to go to sleep I I quit you know and quit reading it like. The Forever War or Three Body Problem that we, you know, oh, those are those are the kind of books that like, I I had a, I'm not a sci-fi guy, but I still I could not put those books down. And Three Body Problem is as hard sci-fi as it gets, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, this is I would probably um go with Barry's um with one of his other recommendations for Clark for uh if you're gonna read Clark because yeah, my my biggest ones right now would be Childhood's End and. Rendezvous with Rum is a really good one. If you like, you know, large spaceships that have like gardens inside of them, it's pretty awesome. Oh, the City cool. and the Stars, I think, is a really it's like an early book of his. I think it's very easy to, to digest. It's like two different. I talked about it earlier. Two different contrasting cities deep into the future. That's another easy one to digest of his. Maybe not, or maybe two thousand one. I haven't read it, but it's probably pretty good. I mean, it's a it was a massive hit as a both a book and a movie. So, um, before I, I want to do the rating at the end, but who um, I always do the like since we have a kid, um, who the main audience is and who shouldn't shouldn't read it. Um, anybody could read this. There is absolutely nothing offensive in any way. Maybe that's part of the problem is that nothing that's offensive. (laughs) (laughs) I guess unless you're a a religious uh, hardliner and you feel that even aliens wouldn't uh, ruin the the thought of uh, your faith. Yeah, Yeah, I guess if you're really religious, like hardcore religious, this book may offend you in a different way. But (laughs) But there's nothing that, uh, there's no reason that uh, if you're old enough to comprehend the, uh, you know, the engineering aspects and things that there would be any sort of problems. Uh, Barry, how would you rate it? I was going back and forth on this. I'm going to go mainly just I lean towards the higher side. I'm going to go with a three and a half on it. I thought about maybe four, but I'm like, uh, you know, it's more of a three and a half. It wasn't amazing, but I'll give him credit because I like the ideas. I like the ambition of the book. I like I like the creativity. Not every book needs to be a t- page turner. Maybe that's our maybe that's something we've been spoiled with. But, you know, I'm going to give him credit for delivering a solid, technically proficient, ambitious book just didn't deliver as much as I would have loved it to. Yeah, and I've been going back and forth, too, on this, of whether like I was going to do a three or a two and a half. And I think that I'm going to do the two and a half, and I'm going to maybe try to set this as like a baseline for like being a little bit better with my rating system to where, like, because to me, a three-star book is still an average book. But but I don't rate them that way, you know? Like, I've been really bad about, like, maybe a three and a half to a four star can sometimes be, like, a book that I'm like, I like, I didn't love, but I still give it a three and a half or a four. So I'm going to give this one a two and a half. I'm going to say that I don't regret reading the book, but I don't feel like if I hadn't read the book that I would be missing anything, like, in hindsight, you know? 
So I'm going to say that, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it that two and a half, and I'm going to try and set this as a new baseline of, like, getting better with my ratings on things. I've, I'm going to start trying to do a... I'm hopefully, you'll uh, you'll have some sci-fi uh, reviews in there, but we're going to get that blog going here at some point pretty quick. I know uh, Hazen is excited to get some true crime reviews and uh, Casey some more classics, and I feel like... I need to do a little bit better on my rating for those because you can't hear my voice, you know, like when we're doing it on, on something written. I feel like sometimes people can tell just by the way that like how, how excited or not excited I am about a book, you know, so whether I that's more of my rating system as opposed to what my star actually is, you know. It's tough making a good rubric. It really is. And I don't think that it's a big deal when we're talking about it on a podcast. Right, right. Like, I really think that, like, our enthusiasm level for a book matters way more on these podcasts than the uh, than an actual, like, my star rating. I don't think really matters. I've actually had three separate people who have messaged me on either Twitter or Facebook or something who have said that, that my ratings aren't what they care about. It's how excited that I sound about a book to whether they think, you know, like it it makes them want to read a book or not. So mm-hmm. that's think, understandable. Yeah. And so, but it, I'm going to have to get a little better about that once we actually, once I have some things that are written on paper and you can't hear my excitement or, or just, yeah, it's a good, it's an all right book level, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyways, <laughs> after that long, unnecessary rant, Barry, thank you very much for coming out tonight. Thanks. It was good to be on the show again. And I look forward to whatever the next time is. Well, thank you, everybody. I hope you guys have a great day. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.